Action Park Media. Welcome to a very special episode of Victory the Podcast. Coming live from my house, I'm Doug Ellen. I'm Kevin Dillon. Victory! Oh yeah, wait, me too. I'm in the booth today. Irish Why? cricket. Irish cricket. Good to have you in the booth. Doug, put your Emmy away. Look, we got our trophies, bastard. and he's got an Emmy in his hand. I'm just trying to get a little workout going, you know? Right, yeah. Stick with the push-ups. Dylan did 60 push-ups the other day, and I'm not joking. I did 50, bro. I did 50. I did 50. I thought you got to 60. No, no, we only did 50. I could have done 60. I would have bet my life that that doesn't go your way, only because... It's just hard to do. I know you're an athletic guy. You're a strong guy. You have good muscle memory. But coming off of COVID to just drop yeah. and do 50 is tough. Dude, I, I'm not going to lie. I was sore, bro, for a full week. My girlfriend would touch my pecs. I'd be like, oh, stop. Ew. Please. Yeah. I see the way you look at my pecs. You look jacked up. And what, what's your oh, shirt? Yeah, Yo, oh, that's it. Thank you very much, Doug. So this is a new piece of our merch that is available now. Yeah, by the way. Pizza yeah. Boy, get that wire Pizza off that. Boy. It's a good shirt. And it's good fit, too. And it is. It's I mean, a, you got to have the pecs for it. It's available now. <laughs> Doug, why are you wearing a onesie? Are we supposed to yes. act like you Let's take a look a at that silly. That's Be careful gross. when you zip that up that you don't zip it on your penis. I did that when I was like five <laughs> years old. That's Del- the last time I wear a onesie. <laughs> Let me tell you, this place, One Piece... I'm going to get you all these. They're fucking so comfortable. I'm not going to wear it in the street, but at home, I feel like shit. Wait, wait, time out. Are your feet covered up? Does it cover your feet as well? It doesn't cover my feet. Thank God. I I am very comfortable. So I just got to say, Connolly, Dylan and I have taken a lot of shit over the years because we we like Brady, Gronk, Edelman. But, of course, we're still, this is David Deal's actual helmet. Wow. Two, two actually. Greatest guy ever, too. So awesome. But I'm saying I root for Tom Brady and Gronk. They showed up for us, and I root for them. Yeah, and they were so great, so cool. Yeah, listen, to take it a step further, I was very, very, very badly injured, and I've told the story a bunch of times. Those guys went probably close to a couple hundred yards out of their way to come find me and check in on me. Nobody else checked in on me, you know? Russell Wilson... Well, Russell Wilson did check in on me. But, you know, Brady, Gronk, Julian Edelman. They set the bone, right? Didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> Julian Edelman said, that's a high ankle sprain, bro. Trust me. He, he gave you a little mouth to mouth. I did check in on you, Connolly, because I took the picture of you and Gronk that you posted yesterday. I right. mean, I took well, it. I mean, so you were the director of the movie. You probably felt bad that I broke my leg. But aside from that, <laughs> no, listen, I'm, dude, I'm with you. I was elated to see uh, Tom Brady. And, you know, Dylan said something interesting in the other last episode when he said, I just like watching greatness. Yeah. And, and and yesterday, honestly, I don't, I, I've never, he's never been better. What, I don't ever remember stats? seeing I him mean, be he better. he was very efficient. He right? just was throwing the ball, zipping the ball downfield. I mean, he, he, he didn't really, control. I mean, he only passed for about 200 yards, but yeah, he's he very three, efficient. Three touchdown passes. Hey, guys, yes. guys, I'm a stats guy. No one in the history of football has ever had a first half like that. 18 for 20 with three touchdowns is the best wow. first half in Super Bowl history. That being said, I would have bet, I'm serious, I would have bet everything I had that Kansas City Chiefs would score more than nine points. So Tampa's oh, yeah. defense, in, including former New York Giant, who I love, JPP, was dominant. They were unbelievable. Yeah. Well, that offensive line was all jacked up for Kansas City, too. They had a guy go down with an Achilles. And they had it the weird bangers. thing with uh, Andy Reid's kid. Yeah, some kind of a DUI yeah. thing, was it? A lot worse than a DUI. But you know what? Distractions don't matter, though, as we know. We had to perform without Dylan because of COVID. Now you guys got to perform with me in the booth. But you know what? We it's got actually kind of fun performing yes. without you. Well, we should explain why you're at home right yeah, now. Yeah, Doug is playing it safe. I've said this from the get-go. I'm pretty healthy, but I'm 52. 
I don't want to get it, you but don't. I really don't want to give it to somebody else. I right. really don't. Exactly. You know? Special episode, Beverly D'Angelo will be joining yes. us shortly. Bev. Uh, the question is, are you guys, I have to say this to you guys before I'm embarrassed. Beverly's obviously a close friend of mine, but she's the first woman I ever saw nude in a movie theater. And it affected <laughs> my childhood because I was in love with her for like 30 years, you know, and that's vacation. She got nude in vacation? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I don't know if she wants to talk about it, but... She's just, she's Americana, you know? There's something Americana about Beverly D'Angelo. And then, also, she was super serious actress. Yes. She was not oh, playing no, games out there on yeah. set, man. She knew exactly... But back to the new thing. <laughs> I'm going with Phoebe Cates. Phoebe Cates. <laughs> Do you remember that scene? Of course. Kevin, I, I'm pretty sure... Wait, I'm pretty... Wait, you might be right. Fast Times is probably before vacation. You're probably right. Well, also, too, Doug, I believe that um, if I, if my memory serves me correctly, that uh, Beverly D'Angelo was topless in European vacation, no? Ooh. Uh, she was definitely topless in the first vacation uh, in the was. shower at, okay. at the motel. To be honest, I'm not a huge, I don't remember European vacation right. or Christmas vacation the, the way I know the original. You just remember the original scenes, you sicko. <laughs> <laughs> he probably remembers that. That, uh, Brinks, Christina Brinks, was it? Or what's what was it? Christy Brinkley. Christy, Christy Brinkley, Brinkley, yeah. She, she was, was nude in that too. No, right? she was not. She was very no, well, there was, was the big pool scene, right? The uh There's a Doug Doug's a big fan of the crying game, that last scene. That's one of his favorites. <laughs> <laughs> I know I know every single line of the of the original vacation, written by the way, I believe by uh John Hughes and maybe Harold Ramis, I think. So anyway. Doug's got a um, screenshot of that last scene of the crying game in his <laughs> <laughs> hung in his office next to his Emmy. <laughs> to, to close out the Super Bowl thing, Dylan, I know it makes you a little nervous. Are you guys okay with uh, getting on the phone with the friendly neighborhood bookie? Yeah, hey, I don't want nothing to do with this, bro. The, I, I mean, like my fingers intact. I mean, he's, he's calling in. Doug, you're safe. The only one that should be worried is me. And if I'm not worried, let's get him on the fucking horn. I'm cool. Are you guys cool with that? Cool. Wait, Dylan is so scared of this guy, but wait, yeah, uh, can right. I ask you a question? <laughs> Why are we getting him on the phone? I want to tell him a couple things. So here we go. Ooh. Nice. Hello? Hi, is this the uh, friendly neighborhood bookie? <laughs> uh, you got him. What's up? Oh, good. Well, he's not even disguising his voice. Is he disguising his voice? Listen, will you tell Kevin Dillon that, that he's he's safe? <laughs> He's safe and sound. I ain't worried about it, bro. I know I'm yeah. safe. Look at these pythons. I'm more worried about him. Yeah, no. Nah, we're, we're, we're good over here. I was just trying to get on the podcast. Oh, there you go. That's it. But listen, no better uh, plan than to just show up, rattle, shake That's the cage what... a little bit. So I've seen the bookie. Handsome motherfucker. Great head of hair. Does not look that threatening. But you showed up. Connolly's a fucking hair trigger. You showed up at the office. I want to know. What was the game plan? No. <laughs> I mean, we had, uh, you know, we'd met. I mean, not that, you know, you obviously meet a lot of people down at goal. I didn't know if you'd recognize me, but we, you know, we, we were there. We talked and I knew you were a cool guy. And I, I didn't really have a plan, to be honest. I mean, you know, I just fucking, I knew. You didn't have a pair of Vikes, vice grips and a <laughs> screwdriver. Sharp Dude, I, screwdriver. I had a. I had a coffee in my hand. You know what I'm saying? I, I was, I was Probably battery acid. You're going <laughs> to splash it in his. Yeah. No, I was, I was down there very nonchalant. And like I said, I just showed up. I knew the, I recognized the, the double sided window from when Doug said it on the podcast. I knew the back door because you said it was sketchy in the alleyway about the sauce guy. So again, I, I, I just pulled it all together. <laughs> Simon's secret sauce. And right yeah, there. and then it was funny. It was like perfect timing because I was going to possibly leave a note on the Tesla. And you were going to leave a note on wow. my car? See, I told you. <laughs> yeah. Say I was going to start banging on the doors. Um, Saying like, hey, give me a call. I wanted to talk to you about something. Yeah, just like, yo, what up, bro? This is about 
not to be named. Um, but uh, but then it was perfect time. And like I said, uh, I don't know if we could say her name, but she, your, your, your worker, she walked out <laughs> and, uh, you know, pretty girl. And uh, and I was like trying not to scare her because she was that star going to the gas station. And then I just sat back there, waited for her to come back. You're a stalker, bro. You're a stalker. Did she appear to be startled? <laughs> Did she appear to be startled? Definitely off the first like hello, and then I said the dude's name in a very somber way. So she thought that something was wrong with the guy, so that she'd get me an answer. Right. And then I think she realized I knew, you know, she, I, I she had saw it. your gun, and then she got really nervous. <laughs> yeah, you know, I flashed love. So listen, obviously, we've been talking about it. Uh, you've yeah, come up fun. a few times on the podcast. What's happened? Have you have you gotten your fucking money? Is the question. <sighs> No, you know, we'll, uh, That's over. He's, That's he's over. out of the state. Well, you know, we'll see what happens. But, Dude, but, if you uh, need some muscle, man, I can help you out. <laughs> I just yeah, 50 I, uh, I'm all jacked up. <laughs> One of our other bartenders stormed the Capitol. Did I tell you that? I mean, I've heard on the podcast that that's, that's wild. <laughs> right. He's also fled the state. You like to hire shady characters, huh, Kev? <laughs> I got I got We got to change that up. You know, I'll come in. I'll, I'll be uh, the nice guy. But, it, it, <laughs> you know, listen, and Dylan did bring this up. Uh, it, it could be weird to have, you know, a guy running numbers at a sports bar. You could get a shutdown. That's the only <laughs> problem. I'd sooner have you at Action Park than Goal Sports Cafe. Oh, bro, I'll, I'll come to Action Park. I'll, I'll do some research on the episode. I'll get some questions in line for the show. That's what I was going to say. Were you showing up at Action Park to collect that money or to get into Action Park media? Because a lot of people want in at Action Park right now. It's hot. Yeah, there was some ulterior motives. I mean, let's, you know, it was, it was whatever happened, happened. I mean, you know, obviously, yeah. I mean, what you guys are doing down there, I think is super impressive and, 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 uh, you know, it's growing. So it's, I think it'd be something cool to be a part of, but, but obviously I was also kind of curious I don't know because if 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 Kevin knew anything about this guy or what his whereabouts were, so whoa, so there was a little, was a little, whoa, whoa. All right, see, Dylan, maybe you were right. I just want to ask about the whole. Uh, does it matter who wins? You make your money on the vig, right? Ooh, um, wow. <laughs> It's really yeah, I, mean, I'm not, right? I ain't, ain't bankrolling the operation. I'm not bankrolling. Middle people. band, like yeah, the middle. Uh, what a game, though, huh? It's just an absolute massacre. Yeah, well, yeah, and that's what I'm down. saying. And and again, call me crazy, but uh, did Vegas and the bookies just absolutely smashed America yesterday? Right? I actually don't know. I um on the on the game, yes, the public was on KC, but dude, there was a ton of action, future action when uh, Tampa Bay was like fifty or sixty to one to win the Super Bowl. You know before. Brady went there. Then there was wow. speculation of him going there and it started dropping. It started dropping. Then when he actually, you know, signed with Tampa, they went to 15 um, over one. Wow. So anyone that took them early, man, like cleaned up, you know? Wow. And, you know, I think everyone thought Brady first year, new team. I mean, the storyline writ, you know, wrote, wrote itself. So, right. You know, my um, boy Don Johnson, the gambler, not the actor. Not the the actor. <laughs> he was all, yeah, he's the guy to ask. He's all over Tampa Bay. And he, they just, they you know, him. Dylan, if we can, if we connect Don Johnson in the friendly neighborhood bookie, we would get a piece of his losses. Am I right about that? <laughs> yeah. Or Doug, we could write a pilot. I could play him. You know, I, mean, <laughs> I love it, dude. I don't know if you I can handle it. He, they, I mean, you're saying that the friendly neighborhood bookie doesn't fucking handle Don Johnson. Absolutely. Don Johnson's too big. He does he's his own got, thing. He's backed up. He bets every horse race that goes on around the world at all. Can times. you handle 
horse racing. Uh, he's probably a sharpshooter. I bet he's, he's, I bet he's he, got a he huge, would bury me into the It's got ground. a huge group behind him of, of technicians. All right, these, uh, like guys math, that run algorithms. Mathematic guys, right. you know? I like how the bookie includes me much more than the Kevins right now. That's that's what I'm feeling. I feel like he's keeping me in. He feels like I've got something to add to the pot. So I, I thank you for that, sir. <laughs> Our friendly neighborhood bookie, we will be in touch. Thank you so much. Thank You're you the best. for that. All right, Later, all right bro. boys. Good talking. So, look, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Beverly D'Angelo. All right, so welcome back. A very special guest, one of my favorite people, and uh, I've been a fan for a long time. Wrote the part because Sheila Jaffe, our casting director, said perhaps we could get this wonderful actor. So Beverly D'Angelo, how are you? I'm great. I mean, but you have to remember that the subtext of everything I say is like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) Because it's just, Kevin, I heard you had COVID too. I did, yeah. Did you have it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. My whole family had, oh. you know, I had, I had two bad days, but, but I, it was, it was so, I was so convinced I wasn't going to get it. Cause everybody got it. My kids got it. I got it. Wow. Everybody got it. But I was so convinced that I wasn't going to get it that, that when it hit me, it just felt like a sinus infection. Wow. But yeah. I, you know, I, I hit had it five days fever. of fever, you know, and it was about not, nothing over 103, 101.3, not 103 is bad. Yeah, 101 is bad. 101 is, is uncomfortable, but usually it was yeah. around a high 90, you know, high 90, 99-ish. Did you lose your sense of smell and totally. taste? Totally. Yeah. Do you know that there's there's smell training you can do? Yeah. There's yeah. smell On training YouTube, to try to get your senses back if you're lost. Yeah, it? yeah, wow. yeah. You, you, you stimulate them. By the way, I'm in quarantine right now. I was exposed. I think I'll be fine, but... If you remember the scene in Airplane where they explain the symptoms that are going to happen to you after food poisoning, you guys talking about this now is making me feel like what's going to happen to you first is this. Then your smell. The central uh, nervous system starts to shut down and leads to a massive twitch. (laughs) (laughs) And I was sitting, I mean, so, so it all kind of passed and I thought everything's fine. And then I was sitting, I got this house at the beach and I was sitting in the sun. I thought, am I, am I falling asleep? Oh boy. (laughs) Yeah. And then a couple hours I was like, it's three o'clock. Am I am I going to bed now? I mean the the fatigue, but yeah. I'm okay. It's, it's traumatic. Yeah, it's traumatic. You feel like you. My parents got it too, and they're you know, my 85 year old parents, oh, and they both know? got through it. Thank God, but very very scary. Yeah, it is. And both and now were big they... smokers. My mom actually still smokes a pack a day. She smoked right she through. She smoked it. right oh. through it, and and she's fine. I'm glad you're okay, and I'm glad you're here. We well, are. I'm so uh, glad to see you. And I got to do this, Beverly. Stella! You know, I don't know if you guys know this, but Beverly, you know, played Stella in Streetcar Named Desire. What was that? Was Who who did that, Beverly? That was uh, the Brando one? No, no, yeah. Right. Brando not, did the movie. <laughs> What's wrong with you? You might even know that, Dylan. It was uh, 1983 or 84, and it was the first time that, that they filmed it in its entirety because there was all this, there was the gray boy scene. There was the gray boy element because Blanche's husband was gay and this is a big scene, but that was out of the movie. So anyway, it was a big deal, da-da-da-da, and Tennessee Williams was alive. He made a list of all the actors and the directors that he wanted to play the parts. I met with the first director, who was Carol Rice, and they wanted to cast uh, Susan Sarandon as Blanche. And the network said no. 
then it kind of crashed. Tennessee died, but then it got re rejuvenated because Anne Margaret did a, a TV movie and uh, or miniseries or whatever it was, and she got an Emmy for it or something like that. And so she revived it because Tennessee Williams put her on the list for Blanche. Amazing. It was uh, Treat Williams played Stanley and Randy Quaid played Mitch and and Randy and I got nominated for Emmys. It was it was all very cool. I was living in Italy at the time though, so I didn't even. I remember my agent called me and said you were nominated for an Emmy, and I said, "Well, so should I go?" He went, "Ah, you don't have to." What <laughs> one of these, Beverly? Oh, oh boy! Okay. Oh, bring him out! Bring him out! What How many sheep have that? He's got Flash one. Seven. You're looking at it. You're looking. No, at it. I, I, I remember the first time um, when when Entourage got all those Emmy nominations, and I was like, "Doug, congratulations, congratulations!" He goes, "Now nah, I won an Oscar." <laughs> <laughs> but Beverly, but Beverly, by the way, we we all lost. We never won one for Entourage. Pippin won a bunch, but this was for a documentary that I did. So unfortunately, we didn't win for Entourage. But um, so I'm Beverly. I'm glad you're not in in front of me like in person because I've never told you this, even though we know each other. But do you realize you're like my first Hollywood crush from a movie theater? And I know your career is beyond illustrious and not be your favorite movie. But of course, you know, when I saw Vacation, when I was a kid, it was not Christy Brinkley. It was Beverly D'Angelo that that me and my friends loved. I was going to say, I uh, think most of America would have agreed that even with as beautiful as Christy Brinkley is... Beverly D'Angelo. That was my goal. That was my goal. (laughs) Because Beverly felt like, wow, this could be like the beautiful neighbor that you have and, you know, and Chevy Chase. You never, you never had a shot, Doug. You never, ever, ever had a shot. (laughs) I was young. I mean, I don't want to uh, list ages, but I was 14. You ain't that young. (laughs) That comedy, you know, which really was such an edgy movie for the time and really set the stage. A classic. So what do you remember about that experience and Chevy Chase being like my idol who I named my cat Chevy and was always one of my favorite actors? What was that whole experience like? You know, I hadn't been really placed in Hollywood yet. You know, a lot of people thought I was from the South. Uh, Other people thought I was a debutante. So I hadn't really been like earmarked for drama or comedy. And so when I got the script, um, I I read it and I I said to my husband at the time, I said, (laughs) so I said, I don't know. You know, there's that rule, like don't work with kids or dogs and, and there's, you know, adultery, there's kidnapping and somebody dies and the dog gets killed. And my husband, Italian said, but Beverly, look at this, this cousin Eddie, he is hilarious. We do it. It was was a road trip. And thank you for saying that's, that's better than alimony. But, but, but it was a, it was so, you know, also at that time, I mean, I think, I think that was the same year that Deer Hunter came out. What I mean, it was not, comedies weren't really happening then. It was, there's kind of like, Oh, comedies. You know what I mean? If you were really going to be in there, it had to be dramas and everything. And uh, it was a low budget and it was R rated. And we shot it basically on the road. There was very little that we shot um, uh, in town. We used the Warner Brothers lot a little bit for Chicago, but everything else was on location, which was also, you know, now it's really common to do that. But at the time, you know, a studio picture was a studio picture and it was anticipated as getting the audience that likes Saturday Night Live. And it was a satire. But and, then it came and, out and everybody identified with it. And instead of going, oh, ha, ha, look at those funny people. They were like, ha, 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 this is me. It's no accident. John Hughes wrote it. Harold Ramis directed it. These are two of the greatest 
comedic directors, writers ever. But I remember I, I saw it with my brother and I was whatever age I was in that year, 14, 13. And I remember just going, this is totally different. This is something special. Not knowing anything about filmmakers at the time or writers. And it was, and it's lasted. And I don't think the remake was even close to it. I mean, you know. No, nobody even, nobody, that was never a concept. It was way before the idea of franchises were even considered, but nobody anticipated that it was, I mean, again, I was in Italy. I got a phone call from a friend and he said, you're in the number one movie this week. And I was like, really? Really? <laughs> because I, there was no. You guys ever get that call? You guys ever get that call? I have not. I, well, I, well, excuse me though. I, I haven't gotten it. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that's worth noting about the, the vacation movies is that, you know, usually there's a bit of a drop-off with the sequel, right? And European vacation, you know, for depending on who you ask, is better or at least on par with it. It lost it's nothing. Christmas vacation, Christmas vacation made more than the first one. That's my favorite one, personally. You're such a director, Kevin. That's my You're favorite such a one. Director. He's like, I thought Christmas, the Christmas one was a little bit of a drop off. Oh, I disagree. The first it's my favorite. It's my really? first holiday movie every year. Honestly, there's no comparison. The first one is on a special, special level of comedies, hey, but they're all that's, great. That scene when they tie the dog to the car and the cop like, <laughs> he probably kept up for a mile or two before oh, his legs you know, gave out. I mean, I just twisted. Yeah. I love that. And he's starting to cry. The, yeah, the, <laughs> the poor <laughs> fella. <laughs> he could barely get through that. Oh, can, I love it. Watch it really closely. You can see that he starts to lose it. Yeah. Also, Anthony Michael, Anthony Michael Hall, Entourage star, played your son in the original, and he's still uh, one of the best kid actors of all time. We were doing that scene out in the desert. He stuck a Kleenex in his nose. That was his idea for a bloody nose, and you know, from the car accident. And that beer that he drinks, there was no beer in that. And when I watched that take, because again, we we're all on location. There was nothing. The only thing happening was that movie. So even if I wasn't shooting, I would go to the set to just hang around but um that was there was no beer in that can and i and i remember during take saying look at this kid you know <laughs> she's great yeah by the way look at dylan look at dylan because there's beer in his can believe me <laughs> thinking if i should get some vodka or something but I, I don't, <laughs> of course you should gloria in your in european vacation when when jason lively was was a great rusty griswold oh yeah yeah, yeah, he's looked at he's gonna pork her right there at the table he's not gonna pork her russ (laughs) (laughs) it just goes on and on and then johnny galecki in christmas vacation i mean johnny galecki juliet lewis juliet lewis Juliet Lewis was on fire. She yeah, really she was. was great. She was so she was great. Like they were Why didn't they bring Brad back the original cast? Why did they keep changing the kids? Okay. Because they got to be kids. The party line was this, that, you know, Anthony Michael Hall did, like, blow up completely. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. John, and he was John Hughes' heartbeat, you know. So he wasn't available for European you. vacation. Yeah. And so Maddie Simmons, who, Maddie, you know, I was fascinated by Maddie because he always had these, like, strings of saliva attaching his lips because he smoked <laughs> a cigar. You ever seen that? Like, when somebody's yeah. like... Anyway. Dylan did Maddie, that this morning when he walked in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Maddie, and, and the powers that be thought it'll be weird if just Anthony Michael Hall is gone. So let's get two new kids. And it just became, you know, like a running thing. But Johnny Galecki was such a, he, he was such a straight little boy and, 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 and so, so manly and so little. And, you know, by Christmas vacation, you know, there was just things thicken, 
You know what I mean? And so you're, well, you know this from your experience that like when you guys were on year seven and somebody new would come into the fold, it's like they kind of have to figure out how to, how to find their place there. And my heart really went out to him. So every time he'd come on the set, I'd sing, Johnny Galecki was a big, big man. And then Chevy's <laughs> going so so then Chevy started singing it and it became like this, you know, chorus that greeted this sweet little boy with silk hair part on the sides. It's amazing when it's amazing when those things happen, which you know, European vacation, Connolly, whenever he wanted to just make us laugh on set, you used to say that all the time, Kevin. He's gonna porker us. And <laughs> he's not gonna porker us. Yeah. <laughs> I also read I also read for Rusty Griswold in Vegas vacation. No. I did. I got robbed. I got robbed. For, for Christmas vacation? No, for, for Vegas vacation. I read for Rusty Wait, Griswold. there was a Vegas vacation? Yeah, maybe that's where the drop-off happened slightly. There, but was, a I, four, there was a fourth no, vacation? I know the problem. And I, I really, I got I got the, the uh, you know, oh, she's a bitch kind of thing for my input on Vegas vacation. Because what happened was... They broke the formula as far as I was concerned because uh, Jerry, I can say this because people are dead, but Jerry Weintraub, um, (laughs) Jerry Weintraub decided because he's Mr. Vegas. This was before he did Ocean's Eleven, but he was always Mr. Vegas. You know, he was a manager and all that kind of stuff. And he wanted to use the real Vegas and he wanted to use the real Siegfried and Roy and the real Wayne Newton and all that kind of stuff. And I said, you can't do that because the, the Griswolds live in a parallel universe. You know, so when you're setting up what the reality is, if you've got something real there and, you know, I mean, it, it, it changes everything, but it was way too intellectual. I did. I got a lot of flack for saying that, but I, I think it did drop off. I'll be honest. You know, um, although Wayne Newton was a doll. I mean, I could have well, been the one that could have put that franchise back on track with that last. I one. know. Yeah. A perfect example. Of I the love Jerry Weintraub, but he dropped the ball on that one. He dropped the ball, he dropped the ball and, and he one. dropped the ball and he didn't cast Kevin. Thank we would have had, but by the way, we would have had everybody. We had Johnny Galecki. We had Anthony Michael Hall. We had Beverly. It would have been great if Conley could have, could have gotten that role, but unfortunately he, he could not. I wanted to bring something up, Beverly. I, you know, one of the things I noticed about you when we started working on Entourage was how serious of an actor you were. And that's not to say that I didn't think you were, but I think at a certain point, people entourage, people felt like Entourage was so much fun that at times people came in and it was a little bit... I was bit, a downer? I was a downer? No, I mean, I was, I was like, wow, she's... No, you were a gamer. And there's a difference. Oh, you were professional. That, yeah, I was like, yeah, no mini sides. Yes. Oh. She didn't have mini sides stapled to the wall like Kevin Dillon. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> I understand the sides. I never saw that. Yeah, no. I no. never did that, by the way. Yeah, no, we're kidding. With I don't Dylan. know how you guys didn't. I didn't, but I got to tell you my impression. My impression was that I was walking into like the uh, uh, the smoothest machine, but I was walking into an actor's world, you know. And that was really Doug. That was really because of Doug. I felt uh, that was. I'm talking about that very first episode I did, where he was like he was right there, and there was just this vibe that everybody was there to to perform and 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 embody the words and and get the thing done. And that was really exciting. There was I didn't it it, it just felt really really good mm, you know right. really i mean and it's a tribute to you guys because you created that atmosphere of of uh, creativity i mean there was never it was it was very very cool i i never experienced anything like it since i, I really haven't well and, and, and beverly we have a lot of uh, young actors and, and people that listen to the podcast you you've worked really hard what what could you tell a little bit about sort of your process in the early days and 
how you how you got to where you were? Was it a you lot know, of ups and downs or? Well, you know, it's going to be the tale of somebody who who ran away from show business at every possible opportunity. I had so many opportunities, but I'd been a singer and then I kind of sang my way into the movies. It's a really long story. I was, I'll, I'll make it really, really short. I'm in Toronto. I'm singing with this uh, rockabilly guy, uh, Ronnie Hawkins, one of the original rockabillies. And he had had a band called the Hawks. They left him, became the band, but he kept putting other bands together in Toronto and I was singing in one of them. And then he got busted. And I was also living with a real fucking loser and I had to get out of town. And so I joined a repertory company um, that was touring with a musical version of Hamlet. So I toured all the provinces and I was summering on Prince Edward Island and this great actress, Colleen Dewhurst, was there. I swear to God, I'm going to make it short. No, no, this, this is great. No, don't worry. People okay, so there's number stuff. one, sang in bars. Repertory company, proper repertory company where you'd star in one, you'd do the lights in the other. And, you know, every Saturday you'd have a, you know, a class with the dance captain and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, there was an actress named Colleen Dewhurst, who was a a, a highly esteemed actress who'd uh, done Moon for the Misbegotten on Broadway. And she had a summer home there and she saw the musical and it was more like a kind of operetta because there was no talking or anything. And she brought her producer up and he said, we're taking this to Broadway. And then he brought up this uh, guy, Gower Champion, who had directed Mame and, and choreographed West Side Story and everything. And they really did that thing of like fire everybody but that girl. So I'm in New York. The show closes immediately. But I got all the reviews and all the casting directors. And so one casting director said, Woody Allen wants to meet you for a role. I hadn't done movies before. I met him. I did one day on what was Annie Hall, but I knew so little about filmmaking that I thought, wow, I shot for 12 hours. I must be starring in this. I had no idea. And then shortly after that, I did the film of Hair. And then I did Coal Miner's Daughter. So there were all these doors that just opened. And I, I really think part of it had to do with the fact that I, I I had seen myself as a singer, but I also had a lot of experience performing in real life situations. As I said, singing in bars and a repertory company. So I was very centered in my own authenticity. And, um, I, and I, and I didn't really, I wasn't desirous of, of being a star or anything. So anything that, that I read or that I saw, you know, I tried to, I, I, I used my imagination. I studied, you know, I was an actor studio and, um, well, you wait, so you were in the actor studio. I, I, yeah, but not then. Okay. I got an actor studio later, but that's a big deal, but, then, but I'll tell you what happened. Um, about 1983, around that time I'd gotten married and I was, um, living in Italy and kind of going on location stuff. You know, I'd done that that movie, Coal Miner's Daughter, and when we went to the Golden Globes, the producers said, we're going to be back here with Patsy Cline's story. So I was attached to that for a while. And then I got this call from the producer saying, okay, you know, we've got a production company behind us now, but it's universal. And they just bought all the uh, library from MCA. So we own all the Patsy Cline songs, so we don't need a singer anymore. And I was like, okay. And I thought, well, this is just a detail, but it wasn't a detail. And they they cast they cast Jessica Lang, who was brilliant. But I was kind of disenchanted. And so honestly, I swear to God, from then on, I took stuff that was offered to me and my my real desire and, and my my real desire to act, to really act, didn't really come back till um I'd say like American History X. And that's when I started to feel it. That, that was around 
but that's a that's a long time in between, Beverly. Well, I worked a lot during that time, and but my, here's my process. My process is uh, kind of like a singer. You memorize the words, so I, I'm very. I kind of see myself as an. I, I see a responsibility of the actor as to um, show the writer what he's written. You know, like just show him what he wrote. And because there's always, you know, you kind of you go like, well, I could spin this or I could do that or personalize this or that. And and that that's to a certain degree. But I'd say that a big part of my process has to do with this concept that the actor is there to show the writer, you know, what they've written. Doug and loves to hear that right now. Right, Doug? Dylan likes to show me what I haven't written. That's, what <laughs> that's true. Yeah, but that can happen then when you click in, you know what I mean? And when you've got like long form you know, like television where, the, where there's like this synthesis. But but in a film, I think it has everything to do with casting. Casting has everything to do with, I'll tell you another part of my process. I, I've, I always viewed auditions as an opportunity to have an audience, you know? So, uh, and I always, you know, think it's really important to just stay in the moment so that you can be uh, uh, close to what you have to, to bring to a role, you know? Um, but Besides that, it's basically just memorize everything and and uh, know what you're doing. You know, like I make a map of a script. If it's a film, I make a map of a script so that so that I'll know where I'm at when I'm there. And I also I, I read the whole script. I know a lot of people because I'm basically I'm a supporting actress. So I feel that like as a supporting actress, not that everybody isn't a supporting actress, but as a supporting actress, you know, you're brought in for like a tone or color or, you know, to, to take the, to, to take the, the, uh, what's going on to, to a new place, you know, and, and, and I think it's important to have, to have an awareness of what your role is in, in the big picture too, you know, although I kind of vary, there's this, this movie, I'm so disappointed. I mean, I, I know it's going to happen, but there's a, a movie that I'm going to do with, um, uh, Ditto Montiel and 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 uh, Aaron Eckhart and Terrence Howard that like we're supposed to do it in October, then we're supposed to do it in November, then we're supposed to do it in January, and it's you know COVIDville. But um, uh, you know, casting is is an important thing, and and I when this producer called me, she said, you know, will you like film yourself? And by coincidence, Tony Kay was at my house that night, and I said, just turn on. The thing I'd just gotten a script and I thought, you know what? I I read it all the way through, but I thought I'm not gonna even do anything. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read this thing and just be where I am right now. And it, it, it was it was perfect. By the way, Tony K is the director of American History X, right? Yeah. When you're doing American History X, do you go into that going, all right, look, we're on this the slippery slope. This is, I mean, it is, it is as, as hardcore of a movie as you get. American History X, Edward Norton, and was about uh, a guy getting into the world of skinheads. It's a skinhead race. redemption story, really. And yeah. it was yeah, Edward Norton's first vehicle, right? Yeah. But it was, at the time, Ethan Suplee is one of my best friends. He he was the super oh, heavy. Yeah, Ethan. He also lost 250 pounds and is now a bodybuilder. I know. Bodybuilder. Where did it's he incredible. go? But um, tell us a little bit about that experience. Again, that was kind of a thing of just walking into the right place in the right time. I think that that the the, the stuff that's moving the most, and honestly, I, I can't I can't tell you guys how much on doing Entourage meant to me. I'm I'm not kidding, Kevin. Oh, Kevin nice. did for real. I mean, it was just like a, a wonderful gift. Kevin, Kevin and Kevin had nothing to do with it. <laughs> let's keep going. I had visited Milos Forman, um, and uh, 
So I was living in New York then, and I... And just just so everyone knows, Milish Ford, one of my favorite directors, who's Amadeus. One flew over the, the cuckoo's, cuckoo's nest. nest. And so I'd... See, and he, I'd gone to his house, and he'd shown me uh, Larry Flint versus... Or what was it? People, People versus, versus Larry, Larry Flint. Flint. People versus Larry Flint. And so when I met Tony, he was saying, you know, we're, we're, we're looking for this actor... And and we were looking at a few people, and he said, "I met with Edward Norton. Everybody's pushing Edward Norton. I don't know. I don't know." And I said, "Oh my God, he's great. He's great. He's great." Well, what happened when we were filming was Edward was really coming into his own, and um, so he started doing a lot of writing. And Tony was the cinematographer, and Tony would just shoot anything, uh, you know, and even even put his own money into it because he was like going over and all that kind of stuff. But Edward would bring sides and we'd shoot him or somebody would have an idea and we'd shoot it because he had that camera right on his shoulder. So he could do that, you know? So that was very, that, that was a very fluid thing. And, and uh, Tony's background was commercials and, and editing. He edits his own stuff. He has a guy he works with, but he does a lot of his editing. So he was in the editing room and, and, and Edward came into the editing room too. And that's where things started to shift a bit. Because that didn't go well. It didn't go well because um, Tony's concept was was that 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 uh, that Edward Norton's character was the antagonist, and that the protagonist was um, what am I Eddie against? Furlong. Eddie Furlong. Yeah, so Eddie, Eddie Furlong was the protagonist. He was the protagonist, and he had the narrative. And you know what you discovered is that you're hearing the words of a dead person, but you're watching his journey because he's the person who gets the assignment to write a paper called American History X about his brother that became a skinhead and went into jail. So you kind of you know go. It's through his eyes, truthfully. It's through his eyes, but um, what happened in the editing room was Edward's performance was really really strong, and so Ed Edward had um, an edit also. And Tony wanted to redo the narrative. He'd gotten the poet laureate of England, Derek, what's his name? Wolcott. Anyway, whoever it was at the time, but he was in Jamaica. There was a timing thing. And so they did some screenings and they screened um, Tony's version and they screened Edward's version and they both got the same. Oh, same score? Oh, boy. Same score. And so, so look at Kevin, such a producer and director. Oh, I got the same score. All the, you know, but. Um, and so uh, Edward, and that was in the summertime, and Edward had like rounders coming out and he had, he had four magazine covers. And of course, that was 97, I guess. And that was before the internet and, you know, various platforms of publicity. So having a magazine cover was a big deal. And he said, you know, I will throw all this to um, American History X if we can get it out in time for the Oscars. So there was a rush and Tony didn't finish his edit. So then, um, uh, then I, really weird stuff started happening. And Tony, uh, we had to, we still had to do the looping, you know, um, at the ADR that for people that don't know, that's when you go in and you fix the sound, you repeat your lines or whatever. And Tony started taking out ads in the trades, and <laughs> put in a quote, you know, from the Beatles, you know, Edward, you know. And in the end, the love you make. And, and he, there was an ad that said, dear Beverly D'Angelo, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not working on this picture and, um, you know, stand by me or something like that. And, and I, I was ready to, you know, but, but then he called me and he said, don't do that. You know, you'll get sued. But when I flew into LA to do the looping, I walked in and like every single line was marked 
Bread down. Everything. And I went, I have to do the whole movie. The sound wasn't that bad. And they said, until you walked in, we weren't sure you were coming. So it was, wow. a, real, it was a real heightened atmosphere. Behind, behind the scenes of, of all the crazy stuff that goes on when you're making a movie. And I want to connect, take from Edward Norton, just a weird connection to Entourage, which is Edward's wife, Shauna, either Roberts or Robertson. Uh, I did a short film with her. 30 years ago or something. And then I named Debbie Mazar's character, Shauna Roberts, but I don't know why that happened. But then I'm at a party and there's Edward Norton and Shauna and she sees me and says something to the effect of like, oh, thanks for naming that character after me. And I'm looking at Ed Norton who probably thinks I'm a creeper because he's like, why? why? But it was, but let's get into some. Ed Norton, knock you out, Doug. Knock you out. Especially, especially during American history X times. I mean, but he was so yeah. up. It was crazy, that body. So, but, so let's get into some entourage stuff, though, Beverly, which, as I said, Sheila, your friends, your good friends with Sheila Jaffe and Vanessa Angel, actually, but Sheila said, why don't you write something for Beverly? I'm like, if we can get her, I'll write something. But the truth is, what I know of you, I know you can do anything, but you're sweeter, softer than what was written. And you really came in there, and I want to know, did you, because I had some models in my head of who this was based on. Did you use real people in this town as a model for you? I I, I thought about um, Sue Mangers. <laughs> I thought about Tony Howard. That's who but, I thought. I want to throw this in because, as Kevin pointed out, um, you know, actors watch this. I want to throw something. You gave me something that I, I tell everybody. It comes up all the time because you did something for me. Because, I, well, but wait, look, let me just clarify one thing. I had no idea that that was a backstory. In fact, when my agent said, you know, you have a meeting to go in on it, I said, oh, I'll never, I'm too old. You know, I'm not, I'm not in that demo for that. I mean, that's all, they're all, I'm too old. He goes, just do it, just do it. I said, it's written for a 36-year-old, you know, I'm not going to go in. He said, go in, go in. So when I met you, Doug, I thought that I was auditioning, but I also thought this is never going to happen. And I really just wanted to tell you how much I love the show. So at the end of that meeting, when you said, okay, go talk to Sheila and find out when your days are, I was like, what, what, what? <laughs> but, here, but here's the gift that you gave me besides that. So I remember when I first showed up, it was also because I did that. I was like 52. I can't remember. I know it's anyway, I was old. I'm, I'm 52 was, right now. I'm old, you said. I, so I was okay, so I was your age. And you know, that's 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 no man's land for an actress. And especially at that time, especially at that time, you didn't see women that were strong and 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 employed and and not a love interest. And, and so I kind of didn't know what I was doing. And I remember Doug, I said, you know, well, what about her like sexuality? Like I'm thinking like, who's she fucking, you know what I mean? Like just so simplistic. Cause I'm thinking, isn't that a valid question? Anyway, he said, no, 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 no. She's not angry. She just has the power. She doesn't have to fight for it. And, um, She's not using her sexuality to get anything. She's got it. And that was a huge, huge turning point. I'm not kidding. It was a turning point in my life. It was a turning point in how I looked at, at, at things uh, as, as an actress and, and looked at the, you know, the, the, the world before me to try to figure out like, okay, how, you know, what is out there for me? And like, how, how do I invest myself in, 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 in roles that, you know, that, that, that aren't written with me in mind, you know what I mean? So that was, a- well, it's, 
it's awesome. I mean, one of the things I remember so much about you, like these guys know they would, they could call me anytime, but most of the people who came in that weren't the regulars on the show, I didn't really talk to them about the part so much, but, but you and it, which is great. I love it. You and I used to have detailed discussions, which you would stump me a lot of the times. You'd be like, well, what did she do? I'm like, uh, I don't know, Beverly. I got to think about that. Let me get back to you. You know, Beverly, Doug, to, she did that to me one time. She, I'll never forget it. She was like, uh, when you were directing. No, 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 no. I missed that when I wasn't I was, in that. Episode. I was acting and, and, and she was like, Hey, you want to step out and have a cigarette? And I was like, uh, I thought I knew I thought I was in trouble call outside and we're smoking. And then she asked me a couple questions that I did not have the answer to. I'm like, God, damn it. Oh, God I'm a they were good questions too. And I'm like, and, and it did get me thinking. And what happens is, and you know, it's like when you're at a certain point in the show, you, I don't want to say, you know, we always worked real hard, but I probably should have known some of the answers to the questions that you asked. <laughs> I don't even remember that. I don't even remember that. I don't. I, I don't know some of those so things. I don't having, but I don't remember ask. I don't remember yeah. not getting answers. But I do remember that. Then we went in and we shot that elevator scene, which is one That's of the coolest ever. That's yeah. what, I one of the love that little scene. I love that scene. Where in the elevator? Broken down from her end, and and more than anything, was just curious where I was coming from or how I saw it. So I started making things up off the top of my head. Well, you know, I was thinking that uh, <laughs> my <laughs> character's been going through a lot lately. I'm just saying my lines. <laughs> I, 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 I'm self-conscious about it because I'll, I'll make a mountain out of a molehill. I don't agree with that, Beverly. I think it is essential for actors out there to know and writers, knowing those backstories, because I have written scripts where I don't know the answers, and there are problems in the script that you don't realize because you don't know those answers. And the fact that you would bring that out to me and watching the show, which I watched you last night in those those first episodes, and you have to go toe-to-toe with Piven, who is clearly this high-energy thing. And then the scene with Connolly, I mean, I think it's one of the funniest lines in the history of the show, and not because of the writing of it. The way you delivered... We haven't, <laughs> he's, who has the, did you, uh, do you know which line I'm talking about? Line? Uh, we haven't seen yeah, Eric yet. yet. <laughs> oh yeah. That's another <laughs> great line, Doug, that you did it right. About you have the biggest dick in the world. And I said, we haven't seen his yet. Yeah. Oh, that was great. I got, that's hilarious. I gotta be honest. I gotta be honest, Beverly. This is what happens on this podcast. And I'm a, such a self-hating Jew. It seems when I laugh, when I'm watching the show, it turns out they're not lines I fucking wrote. It's so, like the fifth I mean, time where Doug is highlighting well, a line that wasn't so his. <laughs> you're so gorgeous. You're so, you're so brilliant. You're such a genius. How can you be a self-hating <laughs> Well, he's not gorgeous. Let's not get crazy. Gorgeous is not a word that comes to... (laughs) He's handsome. Now that he's shaved his beard, by the way. How many times has everybody been divorced? Twice. Once for me. Wait, wait, wait. Who's saying once? I can't hear you. Kevin Dillon once. Okay. Kevin Dillon once. Two for Doug. Have you been divorced twice? Yeah, but listen, I was married 20 years the first time and 90 days the second time. My average is phenomenal. Everyone (laughs) in Hollywood should do as well as that. I have not been married yet, but I am having a baby in June, and I'm very excited. Oh, no, you're kidding me. Yes, I'm having a baby girl in June, and I'm very, very, very excited. So So you just found out. You must know this, the gender by now. Yeah, it's a baby girl. Having a baby girl. Kevin, that's so wonderful. Yeah. So well, well Beverly, now, now that we're getting personal, we got to go a little deep because Beverly did something for me. I mean, I love Beverly. I tell that story. But Beverly has two children with, I think, all three of our, one of our idols. So Al Pacino. My, my right? idol, too. <laughs> so Al Pacino. And one day, Beverly comes to the set and says, uh, which is amazing. I got to just set it up a little bit. And maybe Beverly, that's it. 
It was 107 degrees out. Okay, I'm not I kidding. Remember One this of the day. hottest days he has. And Beverly goes, uh, "Al, Al's here. He wants to meet you. Do you want to meet him?" I'm like, "Yeah, obviously." But he's not coming in. Yeah, tell Beverly. <laughs> well, okay, that you had written a script called, and you called it Dog Day Afternoon. Right. The episode. I took that to Al and said, you got to you gotta autograph this for Doug. It, it'll just be so great. So he autographed it and I gave it to you. So now you can go back. So now we're on this. That's because we were supposed to fly to New York that night with the kids. Yeah. By the way, that was during the hatred years. Now we're, we've been best friends. For <laughs> but the, I mean, those, those were during the years when we were like trying to kill each other. I wonder if he was angry when I was in the car with him. But you said he's out in the car. And I swear to you, I got out to the car. Al Pacino, who I would talk to for a thousand hours. I'm not joking, but he didn't have the air conditioning on. And I got in the car and I just started like I'm sweating. I'm having a hard time breathing. I'm trying to focus on everything that Al's saying, which one of the most amazing things he said to me was like, I don't understand this TV thing. It's like these these characters just keep going and going and going and going. <laughs> and he said that to me. He says, it's a, it's a new form. It's a long form. It's like a 24-hour movie. At time. <laughs> what is this? So I jumped in and said, I said, Al, this is this is Doug Ellen. You know, he wrote Dog Day. He wrote that script he signed, Dog Day Afternoon. Not your and movie, Doug, the TV and Doug show. Goes, Doug goes, he goes, well, I mean, I, I, not the movie. I, I didn't like the movie. <laughs> <laughs> chance that I would miss. Everyone has to go see that movie. Also, I mean, not go see it. Rent it or whatever you do nowadays. Rent but it. Doug, what do you with, it? The 1980s. go to Blockbuster and rent it. You get it on iTunes. With Al Pacino and then Beverly. I'm so embarrassed and I'm sure you know him. I'm blanking on his name, who was the co-star who got nominated for an Oscar. John Cazell. Thank you. Sorry, sorry. You must have known him, right? You know, I mean, our paths crossed, but that was that was before I knew Al, of course. So, so John John died early, but he was he was nominated. Every movie he was in was nominated for an Oscar. He was one of the great actors from documentary about him. John Cazell was in five. Was was uh, married to Meryl Streep or or was engaged? They were together. together. She they were together. And he did and five movies, and it was Dog Day Afternoon, Godfather. Deer Hunter, Godfather One and Two, and some other crazy movie. Dog Day Afternoon. He, he was he was five for five, and he died tragically. He way did? way way. He didn't too. do anything else. Five movies. He, he died. Did. Yep, he passed away. And, he was, like, and he, he was Fredo, which I'm sure we made that reference on the show to drama or a turtle at some point. But um, so Beverly, how was the experience after Entourage? Did that? I mean, a did that help you at all in career wise? Did it? it what 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 it you know? I guess my question is is did you kind of get a, a bump off of that or, or not? I, yeah, I got a lot of bumps during those years. Absolutely, I remember meeting some casting director just socially, and she said all anybody is doing is watching Entourage to cast. I mean, like <laughs> the the talent that you would bring in there, you know, was was pretty amazing. It was the hottest show, it, you know. I mean, it, it, it was really great. The chemistry was great, and also just the whole, you know, there were a lot of things that that you nailed that people really hadn't done so well before. That kind of, um, you know, sequential. You know what I mean? It's like an episode would. Stop, and then the next episode starts. You know, shortly thereafter, that one ends. It wasn't like yeah. 
PC for a half hour. I don't think they've done that until you. Generally, as a rule in television, you want every episode to be isolated for syndication. So a serialized show. Here he goes. Here he goes. <laughs> a serialized show well, is. Do you is have a production sell. company yet, Kevin? This is it. We're in it. You're in it. We're looking <laughs> okay. at it. We're looking at it right now. <laughs> right. But that was that was back that was back then. They were just starting to really have half hour serialized shows. I mean, Seinfeld did it a little bit within within it, and then Friends Cheers a little bit, but mostly like. Kevin said they were half hour bottle episodes, but deep, deep plots where you could bring people back, you know, seven episodes later and it made sense, yeah. you know, and just, uh, it was a fun group. It was, it really was. And, and this is, this was fun too. I don't know. I mean, um, we could we could sit here and talk all day. I think we're going to need a second episode with you, but this was really great. <laughs> Beverly, thank you so much. I want you to know something. I love you, Kevin Conley. I love you, Kevin. I love you, Beverly. We love, love you, Beverly. And it's just so nice to spend some time with you. Yeah. You too. I mean, that was awesome, you know? And and really, everybody should go look back at, at some of the movies we're talking about and more because she's had an incredible career, incredible Great life. career, yeah. You know what was interesting that I found that she said? To hear her say that she sort of lost that thing until American History X where she was like, hey, listen, I'm all about the work, you know? Uh, like you said, there was a long time between that. But listen, she that's in she didn't it was a small movie, it was a tricky movie, but that was for sure an Oscar worthy performance. She probably should have gotten nominated for American History X. No doubt. You know, yeah. you know what I think I think we all know, even at the height of success which she's had, this town can beat you down and it can, you know, it can put the the joy of the work can disappear at certain times, you know. And uh it's great when you are able to get that back. And um, you know, I think all three we of all us have, have been that. there. We've all been there. Beverly still has that thing, the voice, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. She's just... And she looks great. She does. She looks really, she really looks great. I mean, she's amazing. That was, another, that was another great episode. Before we go, just so you know, new merch. Drop number two is oh available. God. Dylan, let's show him the, uh, the Pizza Boy the shirt. The Pizza move, Boy? Move the wire so people can see Pizza there we Boy. Go. The there pizza you go. Pizza Boy. Stop yelling at him. Stop yelling at him. He does 60 push-ups. I mean, look at his triceps in that Pizza Boy <laughs> shirt. from those 50 push-ups Doug made me do. Yes. Yeah, so Dylan, is that an implant? Is that <laughs> tricep an implant? <laughs> tricep implants. Thank you to the friendly neighborhood bookie. It was very nice of him to pop by. Beverly D'Angelo, legend. We're all going to get on Clubhouse soon. Get on that new app, which is crazy. Doug loves and, uh, Clubhouse. No, no, it's, it's just it's a good way for us all to connect with everybody. And uh, please keep spreading the word. Numbers are growing. Everything's looking good. So we, we love you and appreciate it. And uh, that wraps up another episode of Victory, the podcast. I'm Doug Allen. I'm Kevin Dillon at Kevin Dillon Official. Victory! Oh, yeah. Thanks, fellas. I found where I'm